Now, you know that song was made popular years ago by the OJs, is that right? And it was kind of R&B, and I know some of you act so religious that you've never heard that before. But I would appreciate if you quit lying up in the church house. But you've, you've heard the verses to that song. For the love of money, people will steal from their mother. <laughs> For the love of money, people will rob their own brother. For the love of money, people can't even walk down the street because they never know who in the world they're going to beat for the love of money. Amen. And so I wanted to open up this morning with that song because I wanted to get your attention that this morning I'm going to talk about the generous life. And in regards to the generous life, I'm going to talk about money today. And this sermon series is actually going to go on for, oh, I don't know, about four or five weeks on Sunday morning. Now, I don't want you to come to church thinking, well, I don't need to show up. He's talking about money. That's not the heart that I want you to have. I want you to come and I want you to open your heart and your spirit up to learn the principles of the Word of God and how we can use our money to glorify God. And that's what we're going to look at. And as a Christian, I would hope that you would have a desire to do that, all right? And so we'll look at the generous life. And in particular, we're going to look at the idea of how to manage our money according to the principles of the scriptures. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 24. Matthew chapter 6, begin with verse number 24. If you're there, say, I'm there. And the Bible says that no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Let's look at the verse one more time. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Father, we pray that you would open our ears and our hearts, that we would hear your word today. We pray that, Lord, that you would speak a now word to us, that we would heed to your word, and not only would we be found faithful, but we'll be unfruitful. And we won't fail to praise you for it. And everyone shouted a great big amen. Ladies and gentlemen, I I am convinced that um, it is not how much you earn in life that speaks of what kind of person you are. But it is what you do with the money that you have that speaks volumes of your character. How you handle your money reveals more about you than anything else. How you handle money reveals more about you than anything else. Have you ever noticed that money is directly connected to what you will do with it? Just think about it. How you get money is usually indirectly related to how you're going to spend it. For instance, if you took money, more than likely you are going to spend it. If you earned money, you're more likely going to invest it. If you stole the money, you're probably going to drug it. If you worked for money, you're going to enjoy it. If you inherited money, you will probably pass it down to someone else. If you were blessed by money, you will probably share it with others. If you prayed for money, you'll probably tithe on it. If you got the money easily, you'll probably lose it quickly. If it's old money... It's probably in a fund somewhere. If it's first money, you're probably wearing it this morning. You see, 
How you get money sometimes is directly or indirectly related to how you spend the money. Because money reveals who you really are. It really does reveal who you are. You see, money is neutral. It is neutral. It's neither good or it's neither bad. But how you spend the money really does reveal what's already on the inside of you. If you are generous before you have money, then ladies and gentlemen, you're going to exemplify that. If you are selfish before you have money, that's, money is going to exemplify that even greater. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, For where your treasures are, or is, there your heart will be also. You see, Jesus was clear to his disciples that wherever you invest your money at, wherever you put your money at, that is where your heart is as well. You see, sometimes we misuse money and we misabuse money because we haven't really been taught according to scriptures. Now, we have been taught according to the world. We've been taught about sound investments, home ownership, 401ks. I mean, we've been taught from the world about how to handle money. But as Christians, as disciples, then we need to be taught according to the kingdom of God and what What does God say about our money and how are we to handle money according to the scriptures? You see, ladies and gentlemen, if you're not taught, then if you you don't go to the word of God and you're not taught from a biblical worldview of money, then you're you're going to get some things off. Your perception is going to be off. You're going to get things confused. You're going to look at spending like it's more important than saving if you're not taught. If you're not taught, then image is going to become more important to you than investments. You're going to laugh at your credit score and think it's no big deal. You're going to confuse cash with building wealth. You're going to, you're going to have a misunderstanding of how to manage money because we're not doing it from a biblical worldview. Now, maybe you are excellent with your money. Maybe you have a budget. Maybe you are all taken care of. But I want you to open your heart and I want you to look through the Bible. I want you to take your money, the money that God has blessed you with, I want you to look at it through a biblical worldview so you have an understanding to how to glorify God with your money. Now, sometimes, and we've seen this in modern Christianity, we've seen people leave the church because of financial mishaps. Uh, financial mismanagements. We've seen people abuse finances in the church. We've seen preachers begging for money on TV. We've seen preachers say, if you would give this, then I'm going to give you some water from the Jordan River. I'm going to, if you do this, I'm going to send this to you. I mean, we've seen it all. We have seen it all. We have seen people uh, mishandle finances in the church. I mean, there are three areas to the reason why churches usually split. Power, money, or or sexual issues. Power, money, or sexual issues. And money is a big problem in the church. And so in order for us to understand how to manage it correctly and how to be generous with the money that God has called us to, then we have to have a biblical worldview. Now, this makes people uncomfortable, and certainly it makes me uncomfortable. I don't like to get up and teach about money because I want to be liked by people. I want you to like me, I don't want you to think that I want money all the time. So it's very, it's very hard for me to do it, but I understand it's very, it's very important that I do it. And I think that all pastors go through that. We don't want to just get up and harp about money. And I want you to understand my heart. My heart is this. 
My heart is that you would grow in this area. And if you haven't grown, I challenge you to continue to grow in this area. Or maybe you have your finances under control. Maybe you can learn this information that you can help somebody else. So my heart this morning as a pastor is not to harp about it, but to teach you according to the Word of God what the Bible says about money so that your money will glorify God. Because I believe that as a Christian, every area of your life should glorify God. Your relationship should glorify God. The way you handle your money should glorify God. Your attitude, your conduct should glorify God. Every aspect of your life should be glorifying God. You are a living sacrifice unto God. It should bring glory to God. You know, I'm reminded of what Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse 27. He said this to his disciples. He said, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And sometimes we want to skip over the money and not deal with money because it makes people uncomfortable. But the Apostle Paul was very clear that as a preacher, as a teacher, it is my responsibility to make sure that I declare to you the whole counsel of God. That there is more in the Bible than just healing and deliverance and glory and the anointing. There's more in the Bible than these things that we've been focusing on. And God's desire is for you to grow in every area of your life, even your money. Do you know that the topic of possessions and money is the number one topic from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation? It's the number one topic. Now, if it's the number one topic, why do we not deal with it? Why do we not deal with it if the Bible is very clear about how to handle money? Why do we not want to deal with it? Because it's uncomfortable. We don't want to deal with it. You see, now let me just make sure you understand that I am not a financial planner. I don't know everything about uh, retirement and investments, or I don't know all the, the skills I'm learning, and I want to continue to learn in that area. But that's why, we, that's why churches have Financial Peace University. That's why there's financial planners to help you with that stuff. My responsibility in this series of sermons is, yes, we're going to look at some of that stuff, but we're going to look at what God says about being generous and what God says about your money. Because I believe if we can get that straight, then everything else is going to fall in place. Can I hear an amen? If we can get what God says about money straight, then everything else will fall in place. The question that you've got to ask yourself this morning is, how do I honor God with my money? How do I honor God with my money? Somebody once said, well, I don't want to go to church because I don't want to give my money to the church. You see the wrong perception? The money isn't yours. It's not your money. I don't want to give my money to the church. You see how, you see how off that perception is? It's not your money. Because the Bible says that everything you have belongs to God. You are a steward of what God has given you. The Bible says in Psalm 24, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and all that dwell therein. You are only a steward of your money. You see, giving is actually returning to God. What rightfully belongs to Him. Everything belongs to God. So when you come to church and you give, you are actually returning what he has asked for. It all belongs to him anyway. It all belongs to him anyway. It is not your money. You are a steward. 
You are designated on the earth for a short amount of time and God has given you resources. He's given you time. He's given you resources. He's given you talent. He's given you money. And it is up to you to manage it correctly and so that those things would give God glory. Is my talent glorifying God? Is my ego greater than my desire to glorify God? Is my talent glorifying God? Is my time glorifying God? Is my resources glorifying God? As a Christian, everything about our life should be glorifying God. We are a billboard of God's glory. You are a billboard of God's glory. You are a walking message system. And money reveals more about you than anything else. Even your church attendance. The way you spend money and the way you handle money reveals more about who you are and your character than anything else. You see, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, I got a few points for you this morning. Number one, number one, giving is an act that glorifies God. So when you give, you actually glorify God when you give. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, I want to read that scripture to you one more time. Jesus said very clear. Now listen to the words of Jesus. Number one, giving glorifies God. It is an act that glorifies God. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, and the Bible says in verse number 24, listen to the words of Jesus here. He says, no man can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, despise the other, or be loyal to the one, but you can't serve two masters. Either you will serve God or mammon, which is an old English word for money. He says, you cannot serve God and money. Somebody is going to be a master in your life. Now listen to Pastor Josh this morning. Jesus said in Matthew 6 that there are two masters. And these masters are in competition with one another. One of them is competing for ultimate authority in your life. And you've got to make a decision that which one will I surrender to? Which one will I surrender to? There are two masters. There is God and there is money. And I've got to make a decision which one will have the ultimate authority in my life. Are you hearing, Pastor Josh? Jesus did not say the two masters were God and your family. He didn't say it was God and the church. He didn't say it was God and drugs. He said it was God and money. In other words, money is the competitor against God. Money is competing for God's seat in your life. Money is desiring to seat, be seated on the throne of your heart. And the only thing that competes for God's glory is money. That's the only thing that's competing for God's glory in your life is money. You have two masters. Either you will love God and serve God or you will surrender to money because money is crying out. Even right now, every dollar in your wallet, every dollar in your wallet is waving at you saying this, trust me, believe me, let me make a way for you, love me, trust me like you trust God, believe me like you believe God, let me make a way for you like God has made a way for you. That's what the money is doing. That's why people don't come to church. They miss. They'll work themselves to the bone to try to get another dollar because that's what it is. Jesus said, there is a master. He is competing for ultimate authority in your life. You will either run after God and pursue God or you'll run after and pursue after money. Money's not bad. We all love it. 
But you cannot let money be the ultimate authority in your life. You can't depend on money. You can't depend on money like you depend on God. You can't trust money like you trust God. You can't believe in money like you believe in God. Hallelujah! There is two masters and you've got to make a decision which one will have ultimate authority in my life. Hallelujah! Somebody say praise God. That is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19 verse 24, just turn me up to tad please, Matthew 19 verse 24, Matthew 19 24, Jesus says this to his disciples, he says, he says, listen, it's very, very hard, he said, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying to his disciples, the more money you have, if you've got lots of money, you will have a tendency to trust it more than you trust God. Did y'all just hear what Pastor just said? Is there anything wrong with money? No. There's nothing wrong with money. It's neutral. But Jesus warns us that the more money you have, the less likely you are to depend and trust God. If you've got lots of money, you will think that that is your Savior. You may not never verbalize it, but you have a tendency to think it can bail you out. You run to it instead of trusting God. You'll work yourself to death. You'll get five jobs just to make another dollar. And there's nothing wrong with overworking. But you've got to understand the scripture is very clear that there is worship and there is rest and there is work. There's a balance between all three. And when you begin to work and miss worship, that's a problem. When you're not resting and you're working, that's a problem. Jesus, God himself put this in motion in the beginning of the Bible. And what happens is that that master is very subtle. That master is waving in your wallet, in your purse right now, saying, trust me, believe me, I'll make a way for you, I'll bail you out. And the more money you have, the tendency, the greater the tendency is for you to trust it than for you to trust God. And sometimes God will say, you know what, I'm going to take my hands off of it and I'm going to let you trust your money. But there comes a time in your life that money can't heal your body, that money can't save your children, that money can't bring you out, and there's a time that you've got to say, God, I'm not going to trust my wealth any longer. I'm going to trust you. God can do more for you than your money can ever do for you. God is a jealous God. Did you hear what this preacher said this morning? He is a jealous God. And anytime you start to trust something and love something more than you love God, God will take his hands off. The moment you start loving your money more than you love God, God will take his hands off. He'll say, you just go ahead and follow your money. Go ahead and run after your job. Go ahead and make another dollar. Go ahead and see if it satisfies you. Should you provide for your family? Yes. Because if you don't, you're worse than an infidel. But there's balance to it. The tendency is, Jesus said it's very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God because they trust in their wealth and their possessions. They do not trust in me. You see, the Christian life is about you depending on God. That's the whole thing about Christ the Christian life is dependency and surrender. What is the opposite of dependency and surrender? Pride. I can do it myself. I'll make away myself. Me and my money can do it myself. God says, 
if you signed up in my army and you're following me and I'm your father, then I am your God and nobody else should be your God. I am not a co-God. I'm not a junior God. I'm not a vice God. I am the only God. And if I'm not God over everything, I'm not God over anything. So is He God over your money? Is He God over your finances? Oh, I'll serve you, Lord. I'll go to church. I'll give a little bit, Lord, but I'm not going to do what you've asked me to do. Is money your master? Because it reveals more about you than anything else. He is a jealous God. And God refuses to be co-equal with money. He is not going to be a co-God or a junior God. You've got to make a decision that He is God over everything in my life. He is God over my marriage. He's God over my kids. He's God over my money. He's God over everything. I'm not going to pick and choose what God is over. Hallelujah. Giving is an act that glorifies God. And how do I glorify God? I glorify God by putting God number one in my life. I'm not following money and possessions. That's, it's good to have money. For us to say that, that would be lying. We all love it. But it's the love of money. It's the root of all evil, not money. Money can be, become an idol. Anything you put before God, anything in anybody becomes an idol. If you are His child, then He will correct you over it. He'll take His hands off. Listen, listen to Pastor Josh. You've got to be careful that you don't put your strength in things that can be taken away. Samson put his strength in his hair. He thought it was in his hair. He thought his power was in his hair. Delilah said, what is the secret of your power? And what did Samson say? It was in his what? He gave access to someone. He gave access to, he gave access to his power by opening up his heart to someone and they cut his hair and he lost his power. And if you find your power in your job and in your boat and your car and your investments and your wealth, if you find your power in that like Samson found his power in his hair, sometime, somewhere, something might be cut because God is saying there comes a time that you, I need to teach you that you can't rely upon those things to be your strength. If Samson would have said, my strength is in the Lord, Delilah couldn't have done anything about it. If your strength is in your pay raise, you might lose your strength. If your strength is in your investments, in your wealth, you might lose your strength. But if your strength is found in God, it doesn't matter what the stock market does, or whether you get the pay raise or not, you have come to the conclusion that God is your Father, and He will provide for you, come hell or high water. He is your source. And you see, having a biblical worldview simply means this. My job is not my source. It is a resource. He is my source. The job is a resource. And when you start getting them confused, that's when you get in trouble. Is there anybody that can wave your hand and say, Preacher, I can testify that He is my source and He has come through. 
when my job couldn't come through, when my family couldn't come through, when people walked out and talked about me and slammed the door and told me, give me a quarter and call somebody that cares, I testify that he is a provider. Hallelujah. Giving is an act of guidance. Not only glorifies God, but giving is an act of guidance, number two. It glorifies God, or it governs your life. Giving governs your life. Now, how is that possible? Because when you start tithing, and I'm going to deal with tithing next week, all right, but when you start giving to the Lord, then you have to start planning. You start to have to prioritize. I'm going to give God this, and this comes first, and when you do that, it brings your finances into a guidance. It guides your finances. Because if you're going to start giving to God first, then you're going to have to start to sit down and say, this comes first, this comes second. There is a priority that comes when you start putting God first. There is a planning that comes. You, you just don't come to church and just give God just a check. You've got to know how much you made. You've got to know where your finances are. And when you start to give to God on a regular basis, then that starts to prioritize your finances and you start to plan. And planning and prioritizing in money management is one of the very first things that you can start doing. And that, that creates a budget. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, He says, when you put me first, all these other things will be added to you. Matthew 6, 33. It's amazing to me that we read the Bible and don't follow it. When you put Him first, why do we worship on Sunday? Ladies and gentlemen, it's the first day of the week. We come to church because we're giving God the first. It's the first day. We are here to worship God. It's the first day. So I'm giving God the first of my week. And I'm coming to give Him the first of my pay. Matthew 6.33, I put Him first. When you put Him first, you are realizing... Listen, when you put God first in your finances, you know what you're saying? Money is not my God. Money is a slave to me. It is not my king. When you put God first in your finances, you are saying that money don't control me. I'm not following after the God money. Money is a slave. It is not a king over me. It is a slave and not a king over me. Money does what I tell it to do. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. Seek first. Run after Him first. And when you run after Him first, everything else will come in order because it governs your life. It's the law of the first fruits. When you put Him first, then everything falls in line. Listen, if you don't put Him first, it ain't going to work, folks. I stand before you. I've, I have tithed and given all my life. Ever since I was taught it. There was times, yes, in Bible college I struggled because I could barely eat. And I was trying to tithe in my first church, but I still believed God. Because I wanted to, I, I didn't want, I wanted Him to be first in every area of my life. Yes, we all mess up with it. We all messed up. We have all messed up in our finances. We've all messed up in our giving to God. We've all done it, including myself. But today's a new day. 
You can make Him a priority in your life and your finances now. Giving is not only glorifies God, not only is giving an act of guidance in your life, but giving is an act of godliness. It's an act of godliness. So giving glorifies God, it guides your life, it guides your finances, and number three, it's an act of godliness. Now why is that? Because you are following the example of God Himself, and God Himself is a giver. How many would testify that God is a giver? Come on. And how many would testify that God is a giver? He gives me what I don't earn, what I didn't earn. He has given me what I have not achieved. He has given me what I have not merited. And he has given me what I cannot buy. God is a giver. The Bible says in John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Bible says in James 1 and 17, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. He is a giver. The Bible says in Psalm 84 verse 11, no good thing will he withhold to those who walk uprightly before him. 1 Corinthians 2 and 9, I have not seen nor ear has heard, neither has it entered the heart of man what God has prepared for them. That love him. Whether it's in this world or the world to come, he is a giver. You know why giving is an act of godliness? Because you are following his example. How can you be a Christian and say you love God and never give? Hold on. Because if you're saying that God is your master and money is not your master and God is your master then you should replicate your master. He is a giver. He is generous. If you say you love God and never give, then according to Scripture, Paul calls you having a form of godliness. You have a form of it. Because a selfish heart can never exemplify a giving God. The Lord commands us. He commands us to give as an invitation to exemplify His presence in our life. I'm going to say that again. The Lord commands us to give as an invitation to exemplify His presence in our lives. You remember what John said in the book of 1 John? He says, if you see somebody who is naked and afraid and hungry, he says, go to them and feed them. For love is more than word. You must love in word and deed only. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the same way with giving. You can't say you love God and never give. God is gracious. God is a giver. God is generous. Number four, giving is an act of generosity. Giving is an act of generosity. Do you know the church is the only institution that you can volunteer and come in for free? And we don't require anything of you. Every other institution requires you to give something and the church is the only institution that says it's completely free. As Christians, we should know that we should give. What is, what is, what is the uh, biblical mandate for giving? Biblical mandate in the Bible in 1 Corinthians is systematic. It's systematic. It's proportional. And it's sacrificial. That is the mandate of giving. It's systematic, it's proportional, and it's sacrificial. Next week we'll, we'll look at those.
but I'm just quickly telling you that the biblical mandate in the New Testament is threefold. That your giving should be systematic, it should be proportional, and it should be sacrificial. In other words, it should be systematic. If you get paid once a week, you should give once a week. If you get paid once a month, you should give. Give once a month. It should be proportional to your giving. If you have, if you're rich and you're wealthy, you should be able to give more than those who are in or on a fixed income. It should be systematic. It should be proportional. Those who have more should give more. Those who have less should give less. And it's also sacrificial. Because God requires that no matter how much you make, it should be a sacrifice. Should be a sacrifice. It's systematic, it's proportional, and it's sacrificial. Somebody once said that church is like a football game. 22 people playing in the game who desperately need some rest while they are being watched by thousands of people in the stands that desperately need to exercise. Few people given, few people serving, few people doing the nursery, few people doing the children's church, and the rest of us in the church world just come and sit and watch the rest of us exhaust our resources and exhaust ourselves in serving because somehow we live in a comfortable Christianity where you think that you can just take a break from serving and take a break from giving and you don't need to get involved. If this is your church, you need to get involved. If this is your church, you need to give. If this is your church, why should it rest on just a few people? Why should it just rest on a few people? If you claim that this is your church, then you need to take the responsibility. It's amazing people get upset with me if they miss church and I call them. I said, the last time I checked, you filled out a membership application and said on verse no, uh, line number three that you would be faithful. When you sign up to attend a church and you become a member, you need to be faithful with the gift that God has given you. You need to be faithful. There's an expectation. You need to be faithful. I bet if you had a membership somewhere else and you didn't come and you didn't give and you didn't show up, guess what they do? They. But somehow in the church, people don't show up, they don't give. Bless God, they still want to vote though. That don't work here, folks. Come on, somebody. And they'll get mad and leave at the church. I can't believe. I, I, you haven't been here in six months. You see, we, I know this is hard preaching. It's hard. I don't like to preach it. I don't like to preach it. I don't. Because I love you. That's why I don't like to preach it. I love you. But I've got to be truthful to tell you that if you are going to be a part of a church, you're going to be part of an organization, then you've got, to, you've got to understand there's a commitment that I've got to make. And that commitment, I've got to be faithful with my time and faithful with my resources. Is this right, Pastor Graham? Thank you. Rev Magazine said that one out of three pastors leave the ministry discouraged. One out of three pastors become addicted to substance abuse. The question was asked to pastors why. 
the number one response was because me and a few other people carried the load while everybody else came and just sat. Now, that's not me. I'm not in that statistic. Because I got a faithful, consistent prayer life that keeps me grounded. But folks, God is calling you to stretch your faith a little bit. He's calling you to be faithful. He's calling you to be faithful with your finances. He's calling you to be faithful with your time. He's calling you to be faithful. We want to shout. We want God to come. We want God to show up. But I pray that we don't miss the opportunity when He does show up. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear an amen? Now, I love you. I'm your pastor. I deeply love you. I love you more than any other pastor could ever love you. But I love you so much that i got to tell you that I want you to grow in Jesus. I want you to grow. I want you to grow. I want you to learn. I want you to be more like Jesus in every area of your life. Amen. In closing... David said it like this. David said, David, King David, and I love this, I love this. I love this, Pastor Brandon. I was reading this, and this just, I love it. And this is what you call sacrificial, proportional, and systematic. First, Corinthians, First Chronicles 29, verse 3. This is the offering that David is receiving to build the temple. Now you know that David started it. He never, Solomon actually built the temple, but David wanted to build it. And David is making a declaration for, for an offering for the temple. He says in verse number 3, David says, Moreover, because I have set my affections on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasures of gold and silver. You know, David was that example. David said, I want to build God's house and I'm going to be the first one to give. And he was a wealthy man and he started to give proportionally. I'm going to take my treasures that I have and I'm going to give to God out of my own treasures. I am going to give over and above all that I have. He says, I've prepared something, but I'm going to give over and above that. I'm going to be sacrificial with my giving over and above. I, boy, this was generosity, this man. said, I want to build God's house. And I'm going, David said, I'm going to do what I can do. I am going to do what I can do. And that's what David did. He says, I'm going to prepare. I'm going to prepare. You know why? Because number five, Giving is an act of gratitude. Giving is an act of gratitude. David said, um, says, I've set my affections on the house of God. I'm thankful for the house of God. And so therefore, I'm going to give. You see, the church represents Christ. And when you give, you are giving to God. Even though it's going through mere hands of an institution. When you give, you are giving to His church. 
Because Jesus said upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Yes, there's been misabuse in the church. Yes, people have done things wrong. Yes, the church has made mistakes. But it's still His church. It's still His bride. It's still His institution. And the church has done more in the world than any other institution could ever have done. And so when you give, you are giving to God out of a spirit of gratitude. I'm asking you, I'm challenging you. And you're going to hear this every week, but on November the 4th, November the 4th, that's the first Sunday of November, I'm going to ask you, using this scripture of King David, King David said, I've given above and beyond what I have prepared. On November the 4th, I'm challenging you this, I'm challenging this church to be sacrificial in your giving, and I want you to give a Thanksgiving offering on November the 4th. What I want you to do right now, I want you to pray with your spouse, I want you to pray with your family, I want you to make this a matter of prayer. I'm not asking you to give a certain amount. I'm asking you to pray about it. I'm asking you to ask the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And I'm asking you to pray about a thanks, a one-time end-of-the-year offering, an end-of-the-year Thanksgiving offering on November the 4th, and I want you to pray about it with your spouse. And together on that morning, November the 4th, we're all going to come together, including myself. I've already been praying about it, thinking about it, I have a certain amount that I want to give that I probably have never given that much amount before, but I know I can do it if I start planning right now. And so I'm asking you, I'm not going to put no pressure on you. I'm not going to hound you over it. I'm asking you to pray about it. And on November the 4th, I want us to do a sacrificial gift above and beyond what you normally would give, a sacrifice. Stretch your faith a little bit and believe God And on November the 4th, we're going to come and we're going to give. I have people outside of this church who wants to give to that offering without me even ask. They said, I want to participate because I believe in Christ's point. So I want us all on that day to give. And how many would raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'm going to pray about that day and I'm going to do what the Holy Spirit has spoken me to do. Come on. That's all we ask is for you to pray. Amen. That's all. No strings attached. I'm not getting up here and telling you that, you know, you're going to get a million dollars in return. I'm telling you that God is faithful. He's your Father. He always provides. And the least we can do is give a sacrificial offering. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear an amen? Would you stand to your feet all over the building? Father, I thank you for this word. Thank you that you're good. (laughs) Thank you that you're gracious, Lord. Worship team, would you come? Nobody leaving. I'm just going to dismiss here in just a moment. Hallelujah. I thank you, Father. Lord, as we have heard your word today, I thank you that your word has went forth in power. Your word has went forth in boldness. I thank you that our hearts are receptive to your word. We pray that we would hear your word and obey your word. Lord, if there is areas in our own life concerning finances that we need to work on or grow on, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you deal with us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to be faithful in whatever area that you've called us to be. Now, maybe you're here today and say, Pastor, you preached right at me. I failed in that area. Listen, there is no condemnation. I don't want you to leave today feeling bad. I want you to leave today feeling encouraged that God loves you and that there's always a brand new day 
And listen, a part of growing in the Lord is sometimes we mess up. Sometimes growing in the Lord, sometimes we don't get it right. Sometimes it's a struggle. And we can all admit that. That's just growing in the Lord. But don't ever stop trying. Don't ever stop. Come on, make it a matter of prayer. Lord, what areas of my life do I need to put you first in? Don't walk in condemnation, but walk in the liberty of the Holy Spirit today. That when you leave today, the word of the Lord is that he wants us to grow in every area of our life. We're growing through it. Hallelujah. Amen.